Get ahead of the postage rate increases this year with Stamps.com. It's like your own personal post office. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Live from a bunker in the heart of the Ozarks, it's Aaron and Danae and some gurus in the strange things they see when they look in the mirror. It's Sift Mirror, mirror on the wall. Who's the guruist of them all? We have two gurus today. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be fun. Welcome to Sif Pop. I'm Aaron. Danae's here too. Hello. We're streaming live on Mixler every Friday afternoon or available to download later in your podcast feed. Unless, of course, you're a patron. Because patrons get perks. Patrons get those perks. Uh. Every week we'll be uh, joined by a pop culture guru or two to chat about movies, television, and whatever else from the pop culture universe is on our minds. Today's gurus, round of applause for Sean and Chris. Woo! From Geek.0. Sean, tell us a little bit about Geek.0 and how you and Chris started doing what you're doing. Uh, Yeah. So we are big time geeks. Um, Chris and I uh, make a perfect pair to have a a company together that shares in geekdom with everyone else. Um, Chris is uh, a huge comic book fan. um, And we both have a very specifically unique type of personality, uh, which is to say that we can be abrasive to some people. Okay. And, uh, <laughs> Thanks for the warning. that with each other. And uh, it's good. So we just happen to gel really well. And, uh, and so I am, a, I am a big, uh, I'm a technologist. I'm a huge tech geek. Uh, I love anything that uh, has lights or buttons or whirs or uh, has a screen on it. I'm so with you. Um, a massive tech and video game nerd. Um, and very, very immersed in all things that are geek. Chris is a massive comic book fan uh, and huge pop culture fan as well. And so we cover, between the two of us, we just cover a whole gamut of really awesome things that we love and enjoy, and we decided we wanted to share it with people. So Geek.0 cool. came about. Uh, very cool. Uh, what about you, Chris? What yeah, you Chris, think about was that order? accurate? <laughs> that was pretty accurate. Uh, I wouldn't say I'm a... I, I am a massive comic book fan. I'll be the first one to say I don't know everything, so that way I don't get attacked by people that are bigger comic book fans than me. <laughs> Is that part of the culture? there's always bigger comic book fans. That seems to be part of the culture. Am I wrong about that? Because I've never been into comics at all, but part of the culture seems to be like, my collection's bigger than yours. I know more of the details about this superhero, you know. 
that kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, it, it can be. You know, I've got more long boxes than you do. I've got more comics <laughs> and blah, blah, blah. It's, it is. So I'm always the first to admit that, yeah, I probably don't know as much as that other guy up yeah. the street. Well, I, so I that way that. I don't get raked over but the coals all the time. Me, he knows all the things. Yeah, see, that's the thing I always hear from, like, when we have a comic book fan on. It's one of the things that almost all of them say is, well, I'm not a, you know, super fan. I don't know every... It's like there's this, like, they have to put on there's the cloak a level. of protection, you know? From, there's yeah. a level. Yeah. 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 So, uh, so, yeah, but you, you enjoy that's comic books and all that humble. kind of stuff. because everybody's humble. Yeah, comic <laughs> right. books, pop that's culture, right. things along those lines. And we, and we both dabble in a little bit of both, so that way we we're able to get out there and with the website and podcast and... All the social media platforms, we try to put out a lot of content for everybody so they can keep up with what's going on in, in the world of geekdom as well. Cool. We're glad to have you guys on the show. Thanks for spending some time with us today. We're going to be doing a spoiler-free review of The Huntsman, Winter's War. Uh, and then we're, well, actually, first we're going to start with some Do We Care. Then we're going to be reviewing a non-spoiler of The Huntsman. And then we're going to talk a little bit about some Kimmy show. <laughs> the Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt season yeah. two just came out. Yeah. So we thought we'd uh, chat a little bit about that. I know uh, Chris and Sean enjoyed season one, so I figure we might uh, kind of do that. And uh, then, of course, we'll do our buried treasure at the end. But first, Danae has looked through the world of pop culture and is going to throw headlines at us. And we will respond if we care or not to talk more about them. Special thanks to Caleb for helping put these together. Our first article, Do We Care, is titled... Scientists explain why Freddie Mercury was such a good singer. Do we care? I think I am so far from the ability to sing like Freddie Mercury that I'd rather just not know. You know what I mean? Like, no, I don't think I care. What about you guys? Um, I'm so far from caring about Freddie Mercury <laughs> singing and oh. an analysis of his singing. Uh, I, hey, it's I love Queen like everyone else. I'm just not necessarily into a scientific analysis of it. What about you, Chris? I think, I think it's neat. Uh, I don't think we really need to know why he was as great as he was, though. So it, it is what it is. It's, it's neat, but I don't I, need to know why. I totally agree with you. I love Freddie Mercury. He was my first crush um, on any but pop I'm, culture person. Today, I have, I have some information for you that may, that may hurt you. I mean, I don't know if you He's know. dead. I know. Oh, okay. It's Just to make sure. There's Got no it. chance for us. Here you go. Do you want to know the only time there needs to be an analysis of how good of a singer someone is? There's a quote that said one time that Steve Perry sold his soul to the devil to sing that yeah. good. Uh -huh. And that's yes. not as accurate of an analysis of someone singing. I can, I need. <laughs> I did scan that's through funny. this article just because I, like I said, I love mm -hmm. Freddie Mercury. Here's what it said. Uh, this is just interesting. Um, found evidence that Mercury used subharmonics in his singing by vibrating his ventricular folds. Very nice. So just so you guys okay. know, we all have ventricular folds, and he knew how to make them do stuff. I think it's crazy because he, he's passed away. Like, how are they going to... How did they do any research? He's not even here. They just here. had to watch videos. I'm sure they just watch videos. And they also brought in somebody who sounds like him to evaluate how they sing like and they wonder Martell. if it's mark Martell, yeah, yeah but mark didn't Martell say specifically all right next one is do we care and this is about the earth see earth in stunning 4k from the international space Station. oh absolutely i love oh, space yeah. footage yes. gorgeous space footage is awesome this article comes from end gadget and there are just some incredible uh pictures the most gorgeous footage ever caught of earth nasa astronauts have been beamed down have beamed down stunning 4k footage of a planet from ISS 
using RED Epic Dragon digital camera and posted it to their YouTube channel. Um, it's extremely impressive and definitely worth some time. Well, I feel bad now for liking it and wanting to see it. I mean, did you you said it comes from ISIS? Because I really ISS. don't like those guys, yeah, and it's just not. It's, oh, wow. it's not something ISS. that I want to support. International so space you guys station. support uh, ISIS, but I'm, I'm going to back off on that one. Well, I guess we all cared about that, and then all of a sudden got <laughs> feeling really, really weird. <laughs> and Whoa. last one today is Cheerios angers grieving fans with Prince tribute tweet. What? This is interesting. Yeah, I saw this. Do we, I didn't do see we care? Oh, I, I absolutely care. I want to know okay. what happened. Yeah. Well, I mean, obviously, it's the biggest. I mean, the biggest thing in the news for the last twenty-four hours has been him passing away. Everything right now in pop culture news is all Prince, 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 well, Prince, yeah. Prince, 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 Prince. Yeah. It's like the guy did something. Yeah, it's, it's like the guy. It's was, like he was one of the greatest voices like of, of his generation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's almost like that happened. It I is never super realized. Sad that he passed let me just away. say this: I didn't realize. I, one of the things I I love about you know the memories that people share and how it gives us all an opportunity to kind of you know, share what an artist or, you know, somebody in pop culture meant to us when they pass away is that I learn new stuff that I don't learn while they're alive. And that's right. on me for not researching. It's not like you can research everybody, but the fact that he wrote so many songs that weren't his, I mean, there mm -hmm. are so many hits. Uh, I just, you know, think of like, uh, you know, a Sinead O'Connor, um, you know, uh, nothing compares to you, you know, that Prince wrote that, you know, I just, I never realized how much he actually wrote and did and what an incredible musician he was. It has so, been interesting to read yeah. all of the different celebrities or really just everybody kind of reacting mm -hmm. because he also appears to have really positively impacted people's careers, especially musicians mm -hmm. who really yeah. found uh, like when they went to go see him or when they had a personal experience with him, maybe in the studio with him, that his passion for music was something that changed people's view of their own art. That's been really interesting to see. But apparently Cheerios uh, insulted him. Not purposely. Certainly not purposely. Not. But what no, did they, they say? Of course not. They didn't insult him per se. They <laughs> they tweeted hashtag Prince mm -hmm. and a picture that says rest in peace with the eye being a Cheerio. The the top of the eye being a Cheerio. Uh-huh. And it just that's all. That's all it was. It wasn't like rest in peace now eat Cheerios, but it rubbed people the wrong way yeah. because well, one of the top tweets that's kind of quoted here is, hey guys, Prince died, but please don't forget about Cheerios. And I think the problem is, is that they, it's so fresh. Mm -hmm. um, they didn't, people just generally thought like, that's in poor taste for you to be putting your, you know. So a lot of Twitter brands are doing this, right? With like big time news, like the news that's the buzz that everybody's talking about. They try to find a way to incorporate their, uh, you know, their yeah. brand into yeah. it. Um, and I think I think they just got caught doing that when it's something that you know people want you to take more seriously than to be branding yourself, you know, involved mm -hmm. involved in it. I think there's a time and a place for branding someone mm -hmm. or branding something, but but when it's about somebody's, I think it was meant obviously to be nice, and they took it down, and people were like, "Yeah, you take it down. Yep. We're never going to forget that you did this." And <laughs> don't take <laughs> but don't take it too seriously. Like yeah. I mean, let the company make a mistake well, and then just like, be. It's yeah. I don't know. I don't even think it was a mistake, personally. It's just oh, no. so. Cheerios is grieving with you. Yeah, I think yeah. I think it's a it's one of those examples of where major companies they don't have their they don't have their fingers on the pulse of social media, and and Aaron put it the nail on the head when he said it, it, it is just that it's companies who want to I don't want to say they're exploiting a current situation, you know what I mean? And many times it's a sad situation. 
and they're like, uh, hey, we're, we're in solidarity with this. I think it comes off a lot less tacky if an executive or someone that tweets a personal tweet. But when it comes from a brand, yeah, I really think we yeah. have a by nature, we look at it and we go, shame on you. Because what you're doing is you're taking advantage of the sadness of this situation to get publicity for your brand. And it just it comes off trashy, even if they don't want to. And I don't yeah. think that necessarily meant to offend, but I think it immediately hit people. Yeah. One of the tweets that I saw that really put into perspective is a guy had tweeted. Um, uh, um, he was like, mysteriously, somehow my love of Prince and my sadness at his passing has transferred into a love and desire for Cheerios. Thanks, guys. Yeah. And, it's, and that hit the nail on the head. Like, what do the two have to do with each other? And I think that's where people make that disconnect and they go, this is offensive. Yeah, and I totally get it. I remember, here's an example of what I'm talking about. I remember during the Super Bowl, and there were a bunch of turnovers during the Super Bowl, and I tweeted something like, man, I haven't seen this many turnovers since the last time I was in Arby's. And what? <laughs> and I looked at Arby's feed. I wasn't the only one who made that joke. Right. And in fact, Arby's then tweeted like their turnovers like raining from the sky and said, what's happening now at such and such a stadium? You right. Know? That's kind of what companies are doing. That's an example of, you know, yeah. them, them saying, you know, tagging on to something that's happening and then, you know, letting their brand be there in front of people. So I just think you just, you know, it's just a lesson learned to be careful when, you know, yeah. when you decide to yeah. do that, I think. When in doubt, don't tweet. <laughs> just there you go. don't tweet <laughs> when in doubt don't is a wonderful philosophy that nobody uses anymore <laughs> it's, like, it's like when in doubt think it through until you do i think is what people decide is to, that a good segue do. for the movie review i think that's right <laughs> when determining Absolutely. a sequel for the huntsman when in doubt just don't just don't do it uh, yeah, let's talk about the Huntsman Winter's War. It is the follow-up to the original uh, Huntsman, which I forget the tagline for the original one. Was it just the Huntsman Snow and White. Snow White? It was yeah. Snow White and the Huntsman. And I think in the original, Kristen Stewart played Snow White, and uh, yes. Chris Hemsworth was the Huntsman, and it was a darker take on the story of Snow White and, and kind of what happened with her and the Queen. I think Charlize Theron was in the first one as well as the mm -hmm. Queen. And uh, they follow that up without Snow White... And kind of tell a prequel story, and again, we'll do spoiler-free, we won't give anything away, uh, about the Huntsman and kind of who he became, who he is. And I guess the first thing to start off with is just to quickly, uh, by the way, Danae hasn't seen this, so she'll be playing the role of the question asker, or you know, if she has any thoughts, uh, she'll throw those in. But guys, my first question is, did you like it, love it, hate it, dislike it, or was it just okay? Chris, let's start with you. It, I couldn't even register an emotion for it because it was so boring. So would the, you I, think that would fall so, in like the disliked it category? Just it was, it was somewhere between dislike and hate, I guess. <laughs> it's hard to hate something you don't care about, though. You know what I mean? Like it's, exactly. it's there's just so no. It was dislike. Yeah. What yeah. about you, Sean? Uh, ambivalence is probably my best word. Ambivalence mixed with just a dash of like, what the heck? Um, <laughs> Yeah, and for so many specific reasons. Um, and honestly, this is it, this is how sad it is. Like, uh, I knew I saw the original Snow White and the Huntsman, and I actually semi enjoyed it, which is surprising considering Kristen Stewart's in it. Um, <laughs> but uh, I couldn't even find a way to connect this mentally to the original movie. There, I, other than the fact that Chris Hemsworth's in it and they used the word Huntsman, I'm like, oh yeah, this must be like. So this is part of a like, well, I guess somehow that one storyline, uh, what? So yeah, it was more of a like it wasn't 
it wasn't a sequel and it wasn't really a prequel. It was more like an expanded universe movie, really, than anything. I mean, it was just like this also takes place with these people in this, you know, geographical location. Yeah, it's like it's like Snow White and the Huntsman. If you were to take it chronologically, it would be jammed right into the middle of this movie. Yeah. Yeah. It, it yeah prequel exactly. and then it sequeled. It, it, it just wrapped very, around very well the first movie, yep. the first movie. Yeah. I think technically we call that a during quill. A Durnquil. A Durnquil. A Durnquil. <laughs> I, like, I like this article that said, um, back in 2012, a movie called Snow White and the Public Domain IP unexpectedly made almost $400 million, and that's why today sees the release of a second film, Huntsman, the Contractual Obligation Movie. <laughs> there we go. There's a great way to put it. Since Chris yes. said like it, it, the original fit right in the middle of this, think of the last one since it was it did make money and it was marginally enjoyable. It was the meat, and this movie was two slices of stale, moldy bread wrapped around it. That's there a you go. <laughs> so let's talk about if there were any parts of the the bread that weren't so moldy. Was there anything about this movie that you guys uh, that you guys liked? And Sean, we'll start with you this time. Uh, I think it was beautiful. Um, I've noticed that even trashy movies, if if they've got a budget for quality cinematography and visuals, and they don't skimp on the special effects and they do them right without trying to overdo it. Um, it looks it looks pretty almost all the way through. It's really beautiful. Uh, I think they did good with the special effects. I love the mirror effect, the the liquid gold uh, transformation. Um, so I think I think it it looked really good, and I do like some of the characters in the movie. Um, you know, I love Jessica Chastain. She was amazing in it. I I'm a huge Emily Blunt fan, so it was great to see her, and she was fantastic in it. I thought her character was one of the best aspects of the entire movie. I think that's where and, that's where I would start is uh, mm-hmm. with the three ladies. I thought they were all fabulous. I thought Charlize Theron was great. I thought Emily Blunt yeah. was great, and I thought Jessica Chastain acted circles around Chris Hemsworth. I mean, like she was <laughs> yeah. I, her character. I believed her character so much that it would go back to Hemsworth, and I'd like, yeah, that's just a dude acting. Like I, that's not yeah. like I don't believe him. <laughs> you know. Uh, and I think that's just kind of uh, just an example of how good she is. So, yeah, I thought the performances were really good. I did, yeah. too. I told Chris last night when it came to Chris Hemsworth, I, I felt the exact same way. Like, Chris Hemsworth, I like him because he's a likable guy. But he pretty much was the same person he is in every movie. Exactly. Basically, he had muscles and he smiled. Yep. And Chris is like, oh, so he's like the White Rock. And I'm like, <laughs> there you go. The white rock. You just stole my joke from me. Oh, <laughs> man. Oh, sorry. sorry. Oh, dang it. That happens I have to talk a lot. About the movie, too. <laughs> what did you find to like about it, Chris? Uh, I actually agree with him on Emily Blunt. I, I, I thought she was, she gave a, a, an emotional performance. I thought she did a really good job. Um, I kind of disagree a little bit about Jessica Chastain. I thought it was a little bit too Merida from Bravey for me. Well, but see, that's uh, a different thing. Scottish I wanted accent. to talk. I wanted to talk about that. But, but yeah, we'll get there eventually. But go ahead. But, uh, and I liked. I liked the dwarves. I thought. I thought for the most part, the dwarves were a nice little bit of comic relief. Um, but outside of that, it was. It was, and it was pretty. I agree with Sean that it was pretty. It was. It was really hard for me to find anything to enjoy about it. I love that you guys. A few I, seconds there here. Yeah, I love that you guys uh, mentioned the exact two things that I found to like about it, which were, number one, the performances of the ladies, and number two, the humor. I thought the humor actually worked uh, for the most part in this movie. There were a couple misses, but for the most part, I thought that it, it was okay. pretty funny, especially Nick Frost. So here's I think my he's question. Hilarious. I love Nick Frost. As the outsider, yeah. listening to you guys talk about what you liked about it, mm-hmm. and that you have good performances, and the visuals look good, 
Why do you guys not like it? Well, see, here's the thing. This is a great example. Yes, this is a great example of why story is king. If you don't get the story right, it doesn't matter how great the performances are. It doesn't matter how funny some of the moments are. You just don't care about what's going on. And that's where this turned into a this turned into a huntsman version of Batman versus Superman. (laughs) So great, great characters, like you know, great performances by individual components. But when you put it all together, you end up walking away and you have no emotional investment in it at all. You're like, uh, okay, I went there and I saw it. Um, like, honestly, about a halfway through the movie, I told myself the reason I'm going to stay and finish this <laughs> is because tomorrow I'm going to talk about it on Sif Pop. There you go. <laughs> so, I literally did the same thing. Did you? Okay. That's, that's what happens to me sometimes whenever I go and see films. And I'm just like, I would normally just not even... Well, Danae, Danae wouldn't even walk into a theater if it weren't for this podcast. That's, that's so. probably, <laughs> that is true. So I'm looking at photos from the film. Like It's kind of one of those things that like you guys talking yeah, about yeah, these yeah. characters. And I remember when the first movie came out and it looked really interesting. It kind of reminds me of like the origin story sort of resurgence that started happening with movies and mm-hmm. characters that were used to a more dark turn or a more realistic quote unquote turn on these stories or whatever. And so I'm nostalgia is coming into play, but it kind of I'm curious if you guys pick it, it kind of looks like Game of Thrones. Uh, well, there's certainly is that it just feel the stills? It. It's just the still image. Do you know what I'm talking about though? It's like kind of got this sort of like gritty feel, but these like really interesting characters that are like dressed to the nines. It just reminds me of all the yeah, pictures sure. I see from Game of Thrones. No, I can I can totally yeah. see that kind of connect that visual connection. Of course, Game of Thrones is a good story, so. <laughs> <laughs> So I hear. Except so this I hear. One, except for this one was way more shiny and clean, and Game of Thrones is a much more dirty, gritty uh, environment and like feel. This movie this was, one, dr- yeah, like the Snow Palace and the elsification of everything. Um, this uh, is what would happen. This is what would happen if Game of Thrones and ABC's Once Upon a Time had a baby. There like it's go. it's right it's right in the middle there and yeah. in fact I kept thinking about Once Upon a Time with this because it truly was like watching Elsa from Frozen, Merida from Brave, which by the way have mm-hmm. both been in Once Upon a Time in the last couple of seasons. Mm-hmm. Uh you know, team up with Snow White and except for Snow White wasn't in this movie, but you know the characters around the Snow White story. And I just kept thinking I I had the same thought about Jessica Chastain in this that wow that is such a Merida character she you know yep. shoots arrows she speaks with the you know the brogue she's you know got red hair uh, she's a great fighter well, there was only there was only two characters in the movie that spoke with a brogue and it was Hemsworth and Chastain nobody else did so it didn't fit anywhere else in the movie so, so I didn't I'm understand why you it even went on that it seemed like the dwarves tried to for a bit it almost seemed like. Like there was at first, and then it kind of just faded out. I didn't catch that. No, I didn't catch but. that either. I I will say when you said Hemsworth spoke with a brogue, I kind of cocked my head. Really? I, I yeah, like he he doesn't do accents well. Did you guys see in the Heart <laughs> no. of the Sea? Oh, oh, it was oh yeah, brutal. <laughs> it was brutal. So brutal. <laughs> um. So yeah. So uh, I found that part of it um a little bit off putting. You know that it just it felt like it was like trying to take all these IPs and put them into one thing like the TV show does. Yep. And, and it, it just, it kind of lost me there because it did feel like, you know, they were trying to, and I don't think they were, I just think it just felt, especially the frozen stuff. I mean, it yeah. really did feel like frozen in so many ways. Well, it's like I told Sean last night, we, we kind of talked a little bit on the phone about it. And I was like, if you, if you like frozen, but didn't think that there was enough sex in it and thought it was too fun, this is this is your movie. <laughs> like that's literally what it is. 
So I don't. This know. movie did get a little steamy too for a PG thirteen. Yeah. There's there's yeah, a there's sex a scene in and, and there are a couple uh, references like sentences and I was like, can they say that in a PG thirteen movie? Like I don't want to. Uh, maybe they maybe, just did. Maybe I will give a specific example in the spoiler cast. Um, uh, but it was pretty racy. I was just like, wow, that's. And of course, it's dark too. You know, it's it's dark. That's what I was than, reading about. Is it's really the, dark. Yeah, in, so in some ways. There's there's also that that violence to it and that aggression to it as well. So um, so there is that too. So who would you recommend this movie to? Oh, nobody. Nobody. My worst. My worst enemy. <laughs> Sean. If I had, if I wanted to waste someone's time and money together, like as a way of getting back at them, this would be a recommendation. So this definitely. is a revenge movie. <laughs> yeah, 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 totally. This is a good revenge, like take your boyfriend, break up with him afterwards movie. <laughs> I don't know why I think oh, that's no. funny, but that's it just terrible. seems brutal. All right, let's uh, let's go just ahead and do uh, let's yeah. do let's do one more thing. If there's something you didn't get a chance to talk about about the movie that you wanted to say uh, before we head on to the next thing, let's go ahead and get that out there. Uh, Chris, let's start with you. What's one more thing about the movie uh, that you wanted to say? I honestly don't have anything else I can add. It was just so beige. <laughs> I mean, it just I, I, it was I the khaki nothing. pants of, <laughs> of film. Yeah, yeah, it was khaki what? pants. It was a ham sandwich. Yeah, exactly. Sean, you got one more thing. <laughs> Just overall, like I said, it, it had a good feel to it, it. I just it sucked that the story was so terrible and there wasn't anything to be invested in at all at any point in the movie. Like, I think the only time I felt a, felt a smidge of like um, emotion was the scene. Uh, well, the catalyst, since we're not doing spoilery, the mm -hmm. catalyst to this, the Elsa moment mm -hmm. um, that I was kind of like, wow, that's that's dark. <laughs> you know? yeah it's dark and that was the first time and the only time in the movie that i was kind of like that you know like that took me to an emotional place uh, well i guess and then the second part the was the manipulation of the emotional side between the two those are the only two components uh throughout it you know what i mean that had anything to it and the rest of it like chris said it's just so vanilla you know Sucks. Let me ask you guys something. Um, I didn't. I never realized this, and maybe I'm wrong about this, and I'm the only one who sees this while watching this movie. Um, do Emily Blunt and Jessica Chastain look a lot alike? Like I was just thinking, watching their characters, I, man, those women look. Yeah, a lot I kind of see. I kind of somewhat when their hair is pulled back. Yes, exactly. Pull back. Yes. Yeah. yeah, the way they were done up and stuff. My one more thing uh, has to do with the story, and one of the reasons I think it was so. Oh, boring to get through was it was so cookie cutter. And there were, I think, three quote unquote twists that happened through the movie. And every one of them is telegraphed and you know it's coming and it's not a surprise. And at least for me, and, and uh, you know, I don't mean to, um, you know, say it has to be that way for everybody, but it was just, it just felt like I knew everything this movie was going to do. And so I was bored because there was nothing new to experience or nothing, you know, fun going on. But their outfits. Yeah. <laughs> are so pretty but their outfits are so pretty yeah. oh you know i did want to i did want to ask you sean because you mentioned liking the look of the movie which i thought was okay for the most part i actually thought some of the cg in this was pretty bad uh specifically the um oh what were the goblins specifically the goblins i was like oh oh can i can i can i get in on the goblins for a second <laughs> sure 
I told Chris last night, one of the things that I hated the most about the movie, and I totally forgot about this, was it looked like the writers started doing the movie and they were like, we need a villain in this movie. And they're like, God, what are we going to, where, where are we going to put in, well, let's put goblins in. And they're like, sweet, we did it. We, we, we put goblins in. And somebody raised their hand and they're like, well, what are they going to look like? And somebody's like, we don't have time or money for that. Basically, someone take all the Planet of the Apes footage, take all the, <laughs> take all the monkeys from that movie, put gold horns on them, okay? And we'll animate everything else around it. And then we've got goblins. Yeah, give, and I'm him, like, give him Mr. T, give him Mr. T necklaces and, yeah. and all <laughs> that. Winged out monkeys that are angry and want <laughs> gems. There you go. Wait, that's are, goblins. Are you guys trying to tell me that not to see this because that actually may <laughs> put me over the edge? I'm I may want to actually go and take a look at that. Uh, blinged out monkey goblins. Uh-huh, that's yeah. that's interesting. You know, how can you miss with blinged out monkey goblins? <laughs> uh, there you go. I love well, how Sean we, was we, quoted in the chat too, saying, "Can I get out on the goblins?" <laughs> <laughs> yes, please do. So, anyways, overall, Before we transition. Yeah, yeah, yeah. sure. Uh, to sum it all up, the best way to put it, I I read a review uh, this morning on Gizmodo that put it into perfect uh, context. Uh, he says, "You have the means to enjoy the Huntsman." The contractual obligation movie. Just pour some of it into your 20 ounce slurpy container before entering the theater, or else bake it into cookies or brownies, depending <laughs> on whichever enhancement you prefer to make this movie enjoyable. And that goes back to the blinged out monkey goblins and so many oh. other things. Uh, yeah, so overall, I think all of us would agree not one to waste your time on and, uh, and not necessarily. Would you, would you, we all say that the first one is, if you want to see something from this universe, is the better one to see. Yes, I have definitely. not seen the first one, so. Yeah, I like Sean. Thought it was okay, you know. This I can't even give it an okay. So, so there's that. But if it comes on TV late at night and you're doing something like you're doing work, <laughs> is it something you could have in the background? Sure. No, no. Catch up on one of your TV shows no, that you're behind oh, on. Oh, like, yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, why waste your Watch time? Watch Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. That's Danae, right. Danae, if you're that bored, okay you'd be better suited watching Adam Sandler's comedy movies. That's <laughs> oh, how no. much I hate it. No. <laughs> not Sandler. No, not Sandler. All right, let's talk a little bit about uh, how this podcast actually exists. This podcast, Sif Pop, is actually part of the Shoe the Dough podcast network, which is a network that Aaron and I have been creating together now for a couple of years, along yeah, with our fans. Stuff. We started it off going, can't do this alone. If you guys like the shows that we do, help us out if you can every month with a little bit of support. And we do that at the website, Patreon. So P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash Aaron and Danae is how you can connect with the vision of the podcast network. We started off with our main podcast called Shoe the Dough. Mm-hmm. And then we've launched Sif Pop. And uh, there's other things we've kind of got on the horizon. So if you're interested in helping us out, you can go there. There's perks for giving, for example, at $3 a month to support this podcast, which, by the way, is a free podcast to the public. Yep. Uh, but at $3 a month, you get access to it the day that it airs on Mixler. So you get yep. to have it early. One day earlier than it goes early. into the podcast feed. So you can check that out. And thank you for your support. It means the world to us uh, to see people actually putting a couple dollars every month uh, into doing what we do uh, is really humbling, and we're very thankful for it. Uh, we are, what, $15 a month away from a relaunch of New Music Digest. So 
We'll see how that goes. And there was a little bit of a, an uprising in band. That's right. Our communications app with our fans. Yeah, if you're on band, it's a way that all of us kind of get together and chat it up. And in the chat room, when other people started realizing that <laughs> New Music Digest had kind of gone back on the shelf. On hiatus for a on little hiatus, bit. On uh-huh. hiatus. There was a little bit of a rebellion. <laughs> also, um, our fan friend, BDG, who helps us produce that show, uh-huh. felt like it was a personal insult <laughs> and that we fired him. Hey, we can only say it so many times. You're fired. He kept it I alive. Mean, <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> he did. He kept You're it alive. You're making it worse. I know. I know. <laughs> Thank you guys for your support. We really appreciate it. On to our second pop topic, or popic, I guess if you prefer. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about The Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. Season 2 dropped. Was it last week, guys? Or was it the week before? Yes. I, I think it was last week. Last week. And uh, so this, of course, is about the... Uh, I don't... What would be an adjective for her? Uh, over... Ha- un- over... The Unbreakable? Yeah, I was going to um, go with Unbreakable. Over-enthusiastic? So, over-enthusiastic. Yeah, Kimmy Schmidt, who was trapped... Into development. <laughs> yeah, trapped in a, uh, a bunker by a cultist for a while, and then is now facing what the world is like, I think like seven or eight years later. It's actually my story of being trapped in the bunker with Aaron. <laughs> <laughs> That's right, it's 15 years later. That is correct. Yep. Uh, and so coming into season two, uh, I wanted to chat a little bit about the show itself, kind of get your feelings on... What you've seen in the second season, you know, did you like the first season? How do you feel about the show? We'll certainly do the review part. But I also wondered if maybe we would wander into a little bit, you know, do comedies work on Netflix as much as dramas do? Because it seems like the dramas get all of the headlines when they drop on, you know, whether it be Netflix or Hulu or whatever. And then the comedies are just kind of there. So we'll get into that in a little bit. But first, what are your just kind of general thoughts on uh, the show as well? And Danae, since Uh, you didn't do any of the movie stuff, I think you should start. Oh, Excellent. Uh, someone told me to watch an episode of the Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. I did. Um, I think last season. Mm-hmm. And it annoyed me to no end. Okay. Something about the wide-eyed, enthusiastic character. I think I'm... I I don't know. I don't relate. I don't relate on some levels. Mm-hmm. And so I just watched the first kind of... Maybe the first episode. Maybe part of the second episode. If I remember... So I kind of had an idea of what was going on with it. And then, then I just quickly, like I did, I have not gone back until yesterday. I went and watched two random episodes. I picked two episodes at random to watch. Okay. I, I picked uh, Kimmy is bad at math from season one. Okay. And I picked Kimmy meets her mom, which is the 13th episode. I think the final one. And I'm not sure. Sh- of season of two? Of season two. Oh, I haven't even seen mm-hmm. that one. So um, here's how I enjoy this. I can't watch it. <laughs> I can listen to it, but I can't watch it. Oh, interesting. I get that. I, I get that. was mm-hmm. so impressed that makes sense. with some of the humor yeah. and some of the dialogue. Um, and there were things that were happening that would totally surprise me that I was like, oh, that was clever or that was fun. Mm-hmm. But if I watched it, I was like, oh. <laughs> so that's kind of my, I guess so my So you need line. it to be like a radio play. Yeah. And so that's kind of what it a was. podcast. You just need the Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt podcast. If, I think I think I'm going to be good. I tried to visually watch. I made myself watch the second one uh-huh. and I didn't enjoy it hardly at all. It's really interesting. We were talking about this yesterday. People peg you as an optimist. And like I am when, not. When I watch this show, there's a lot about Kimmy Schmidt. And this may offend you. 
that I see in actually you, which is like, you know, kind of the, you know, having fun with strange songs, just making I up totally songs. I totally see that. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. and just kind of oh, being, yeah. just interacting with your world in like a fantastical way, you know, right. that kind of stuff. I but am the, that way. Right. But However. The, part she, <laughs> the part you are not is that wide-eyed optimist, you know? No, no, no. I'm suspicious of everything. <laughs> <laughs> which yeah. is funny because I, on the other hand, people see me oftentimes as the standoffish, you know, probably a pessimist, whatever. And I am the wide-eyed optimist. Like I, you know, everything I see, I think is amazing. And, you know, I, I so it's it's really interesting that like, people kind of get the wrong impression about which roles, you know, we would embody in that situation. There is something really endearing about her personality that she's just determined to, like, make everything best case scenario. And I think what I was reminded of, and this is probably, you know, one of like the final things I'll really have to say is I was reminded of they did a good job of having heart in the story, um, especially the second episode that I watched kind of um no actually it was the first episode the uh, kimmy does not which i thought was a fantastic episode in fact i don't want to watch anymore because i wanted to just be yeah Yeah. it was so good um i related to that too i'm terrible at math so it was wonderful but anyways there was a Mm -hmm. moment in that where she has this kind of like heart moment with the rich lady and she's telling her like i do relate to what you're going through because i am the mole girl from you Mm -hmm. know whatever and it is hard. Life is hard. And so it brought it into a realm of reality for me that was like, oh, they do know how to kind of hit on those deeper heartstrings. It's not all this superficial, yeah. life is happy, da 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 So I, I think I actually want to watch that episode again because it was really, really good. What about you, Sean? What are your thoughts? So um, I'm a huge Kimmy Schmidt fan. I love the first season. Uh, honestly, I know the theme song. I sing it. I have it on my phone. Um, Which, by the way, one of the best theme songs ever. I have a question ever, about that. Ever. I, I have yes, a question ever. about that later. Okay, later you do? Okay. Yeah. So, um, I'm a huge fan of the show, and I have to say that I'm, I'm certainly grateful for certain aspects of second season. I think Tina Fey is unbelievably awesome in second season. Um, at mm-hmm. Her character that she plays, this... this uh, Night this, and day <laughs> therapist. Yeah, the night and day drunk um, therapist. Is, she's fantastic. But I got to say, I have a really hard time connecting to the second season. Um, I, I enjoyed it. There's some great comedic moments. There are some fantastic jokes in it. Um, I felt like this season got a lot more real than last season because it hits on some really big themes. Like, I mean, it's deep in therapy um, for everybody, you know? Um, and it touches on the fact that Kimmy is truly, she is messed up, uh, you know, from, from everything. So it touches on a lot of, of, of great, uh, I don't know, like they get away from just the comedic side of what she went through. Does it make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But had a harder time finding myself like, uh, on the overall laughing as much as I did last season. Last season, I had every episode just sent me into hysterics and, and this season, I just, I don't know. Um, I don't find the American, is this a anti-spoilery review? Well, it's harder to be, I mean, we don't want to ruin it for somebody if they want to watch it. But yeah, it's, okay. it's a little di- more difficult with TV. Without getting into specifics as to why, I'm not a big fan of the American Indian storyline there for Jacqueline at all. I don't find it amusing. There aren't any aspects of it. Like, I, I don't know, I don't see its purpose other than to give her a role in the show. Um, and... For whatever reason, I may be the only person uh, who feels this way, um, but I am really tired of of seeing uh, uh, what's her name. Um, uh, Which Carrie? Lillian. 
the landlady? Lillian. Lillian. Lily, I'm done with Lillian. I'm just she's AKA uh, Penguin's the, mom from yeah, Gotham. Yeah. yeah, like her anti-gentrification uh tirade throughout this episode this series season. Um yeah, Jillian. Lillian, there we go. Yeah. I'm just eh. So yeah. the season I like I said, it's Kimmy Schmidt. It's good. The writing is good in many places. Uh, there's some there's some fantastically landed jokes. Um, I still like Kimmy as a character. I love Titus Andromedon. But uh, I just, this season fell a little flatter than the first season did for me. Uh, it re- and also, I felt like, uh, and you tell me what you think, Eric, because I'm curious to see what you think. This season felt like it went further away from the funny and way more into the weird. Um like some of the cartoons and the off moments, like Kimmy's Happy Place stuff, um, it sure. went way weird. In it started. Two, there I were thought, a few moments where it started transitioning from Thirty Rock to like, um, oh, what was the Community? You know, like where the dif- <laughs> the difference between absurdist humor and actually like kind of losing your mind a little bit. You know, so yeah, yeah I can see that a little bit. What about you, uh, Chris? Well, and that maybe that's why I actually prefer season two to season one. So we're going to have a, a, a little bit of a debate, I guess, because I like the fact that the characters are actually developing and they're not staying. I feel like you're seeing less one note stuff with them, like what you saw in the first season, because the first season was just Kimmy doesn't know how to tie her shoes and Kimmy doesn't know how to add two plus two and Kimmy doesn't know what a cell phone is. And, you know, and that's cute after a little while, but it, it, that I felt kind of started to get a little bit old. And I liked seeing that Titus was growing as a character and Kimmy's working through her psychological issues from being trapped in a bunker for half her life. And um, I still thought the season was really, really funny and I actually liked it quite a bit. Um, and I loved I absolutely loved the digs that they threw on hipsters. Um, oh, yeah. Uh, with, was Lily, with Lillian's gentrification uh, storyline. Um, I liked it quite a bit. Um, but I also like that actress. I, I can't place her name right at the moment, but from Gotham and from being in The Princess Bride and some of the other stuff she's done, I actually like her quite a bit. Um, I love Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. Um, I blew through, golly, I think I blew through the second season in about three days. Um, and, and it, and it held my interest more this time, uh, than I felt season one did. It took me about a month or so to get through season one. Uh, cause I kept having to, I would watch one be like, okay, this is pretty funny and then come back to it. Um, but I really, really enjoyed season two. Uh, that is a point I want to come back to when we start talking about the difference between comedies and dramas, uh, on Netflix or Hulu and those kind of things is that idea of binging and do you want to watch the next one right away? Uh, I will I will give my kind of brief thoughts on on Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt and they're basically this uh, I love it I, I loved season one and I love season two I I really see them as uh, I can see the points you guys are both making about how they are different um, but I think it all balances out for me that I pretty much like mm-hmm. like both seasons the same uh, because for me what it really comes down to is the brilliant writing uh, the writing on the show is absolutely laser focused and yeah there are more jokes in one episode of kimmy schmidt than some series have in an entire run you know i mean it's oh, just yeah. it's just unbelievable and i find myself and i almost did it and i by the way i'm only through i think i'm through episode 10 so i think i've got like three more of season two did you oh, guys both see, finish it do you guys both see all of them yes yes okay so uh, that's where i'm at but i find myself like wanting to to watch it with my laptop 
and write down quotes. Like it's just, oh, there's the just quotes are so great. Quote after yes. quote after quote. And, and I can't remember any yeah. of them because there's another one that happens three seconds later mm-hmm. that shoves the old one exactly. out of my brain. And so it's just like, yeah. it's like, oh, it's, but it's so good. And the writing is the writing alone for me is reason to watch this show because I just, I love brilliant humor, you know, where it's not yep. just, I, and I'm, I'm, I can do the fall down, go boom type humor. Like I'm not above slapstick, you know, it, I, I love Dick Van Dyke, and I love a lot of the slapstick that he does. But man, I love a good mental joke. You know that you really have to to process and and get to the punchline. So I, I I really admire that about this show, and so I think that's that's probably why I keep going back to it in that way. Yeah. So one of the things I when I watched the first episode, it's been so long, and when I was watching it again yesterday, or watching the um, math episode yesterday, and the theme song popped on, yeah, I was like. There's something about this theme song that's super, super familiar to me, and I couldn't put my finger on it, but it reminded me, like, it looks like a news story yeah. where they take in and they do the auto-tune it's stuff. It's what it is. Yeah, it's an YouTube. auto-tune, yeah. And so I uh, did some research on it, and the Gregory Brothers, who are the internet's, quote, foremost names in auto-tuned news, and the creators of such phenomenon as the Bed Intruder song. That's I don't right. know what that is. You know Bed Intruder. Hide your kids, hide your wives. Uh, yeah, I, I know that one. Hide your wife. Yeah. I do know that one. So that was kind of interesting. nobody got time for that. <laughs> yes. So even though the auto-tune news approach uh, was planned, it says that having the Gregory Brothers add their flair to the track wasn't. So they had landed the project and through all like the small world connections. So they're the ones that got to kind of work on the intro. Oh, it's so good. And, and because it mm-hmm. is, it's such a perfect, it's not only fun to listen to and catchy, it's a perfect representation of what the show is about, too. You know, that they're yeah, a absolutely. new story and, you know, and and also the Internet culture. And right. yeah, so it's just I, I think it's a, almost a perfect theme song. So let's talk mm-hmm. a little bit about um, the idea of comedies on Netflix. Uh, do you think they work as well as dramas? Sean, what do you think? Uh, I think absolutely. I think more importantly than any other genre, um, it's all about story. Good writing can save a show or uh, or make it terrible. And I think comedies work just as well on Netflix as the dramas do. Um, I say this because I was I was skeptical for a couple reasons. Um, I also fully watched another new show on Netflix this uh, this year or a couple weeks ago called The Ranch. With Is that Ashton the Ashton Kutcher? Kutcher one? Yeah. Tell me yes. about that. Was it any now, good? It's fantastic. Okay. It is so incredibly funny and well-written. Um, and I'm not a big Ashton Kutcher fan at all. And so I was skeptical, but it's got Sam Elliott in it. And like, he's amazing. And, um, of course, uh, uh, Danny, um, Masterson. Masterson. Yeah. And, and so having, and so it was kind of cool to have Danny Masterson and, and, um, and Ashton together again, but getting away from that show itself, it was a good example of how Netflix can do comedy really well if they, if they want um, again, it's all about the writing. You've got to have a rock solid writing team that that is it, that is into their content. They have to be on point. Um, otherwise, it doesn't work. Especially for you know the environment of Netflix, the ability to binge watch things like that. Um, I I love I like I love Kimmy Schmidt. Right, Kimmy Kimmy Schmidt is amazing. The writing is exceptional. Yes, um, and I think the ranch is extremely well done. And I think their examples are proof that 
Netflix can do comedies just as well as they do fantastic dramas like House of Hearts. So I would agree with that. What I would draw us back to is the idea of uh, when I think of Netflix, I think of binge watching and watching the next episode right away. And yeah, I think the, you know, the comedies they're doing are good. Uh, my feeling is I I don't enjoy watching them Netflix style, and uh, I think there are good things and bad things with that. But when when I watch a comedy, like I can only take so much of its tone before I need to kind of go do something else, and then you know, and then I'm hungry for it again. Like I'm hungry for that you know Kimmy Schmidt tone, or you know, for like a network comedy like New Girl. Like I'm ready for the next episode of I New Girl. You know what I mean? Uh, whereas like dramas, like with the um, the in you know the endings where you want to know what's going to, you know, the cliffhangers and all that kind of stuff. I feel like it works for binging better than the comedies do. What do you, what do you think about that, Chris? I, yeah, I agree with you. Um, I, because I, I'm a huge fan of the the dramas on Netflix and I, I feel like there are comedies outside of a couple of them. I mean, when you have stuff like Fuller House on there, um, it's kind of hard for me to, <laughs> oh, uh, it's kind of hard for me to respect. Hey man, they made it. Um, yeah. So it's kind of hard for me to respect the comedy genre on Netflix when they're making the ridiculous six and Fuller House and and stuff like that. But they have some good stuff like BoJack Horseman that I, I watched. You know, I'll watch and that, and I'm with I'm like you, Aaron. I'll watch two or three episodes or four or five, and then come back and watch a few more later. But with House of Cards and Daredevil and Orange is the New Black and I, I especially House of Cards is just one after the other after the other after the other, and I'll like eight episodes in on an hour long show, I'll be like, Oh gosh, I'm up. It's two, two or three o'clock in the morning. And I've been watching house of cards for eight hours. Yeah. You know? So, so I'm like you on that end. I, I do prefer to binge the dramas over the comedies. Yeah. I, I have to say, I never thought about it until you mentioned it, Aaron. Um, like, I guess I was looking at it in the context of do comedies work on Netflix? And I think, yes, they do. They do do great comedies. They also do trash ones. And comedies are one of those things, uh, as evidenced by Will Ferrell movies, that comedies are so left up to the sense of humor of the viewer. Extremely so, subjective. Do, Good point. Yeah, very, very subjective material. Do comedies work on Netflix? Absolutely. Can I sit and binge watch like I can Daredevil or House of Cards? or um, uh, some of the other shows. Uh, no, I agree. I agree completely. I, I can watch a few episodes, you know, and go through them, and then I need a break to do something else before I come back and do. And I don't know if it's because of the moods uh, or if it's because comedies are so loose in the way they tie things together between episodes. If that makes sense? Yeah, I'm no. not going to watch the next episode to find out what's going to happen with just what, what just happened. Does it make sense? They kind of wrap everything up in a, a semi-neat little bow in comedies or sitcoms. Yeah. Each episode. Yeah. I, you know, and the, there are pros to it, too, with comedies or dramas in that they're not beholden to the way the audience reacts. You know, so they, they can prep their whole season and then, you know, do that. And, and they don't have to worry. You know, I feel like so many times network stuff, a lot of times they'll overreact to what the fans are saying or those kind of things. So mm -hmm. that, that's kind of a good thing as well. So, but anyways, I just wanted well, to have that the conversation. Yeah. Yeah. Do that. Yeah. All right. It is on to our buried treasure. Danae, start us off. I'm sleeping. <laughs> <laughs> Ugh, I do not understand how you guys get so excited about talking about this stuff. <laughs> like, uh, I don't have anything to talk about today. For buried treasure? 
here's what you should do. You should get Google Photos on your phone right now. Back up all your pictures. It automatically tells you whenever you need to free up space. Click a button and it does it for you. That's my buried treasure today. <laughs> there you go. Google Photos. What about you, Sean? Oh, you know what? I, I, it, we had talked about something that I wanted to do as my buried treasure. Um, uh, and Chris, what was it? It was an app. Um, and I decided... I honestly Which do one? not remember, sir. Oh, see, and I don't remember. I I, I made mental mental note of it earlier in the week, and I was don't like, you know that. what? Don't make mental notes. <laughs> I, I have physical I, notes, I must man. Make physical notes because mental ones obviously escape me. So, uh, uh, that's fine. I I'll throw this out because it makes me filled with joy. Um, there was a. Fine Brothers video that dropped this week. Uh, for those of you who aren't familiar with Fine Brothers, they're the guys who do all the reaction videos on YouTube. Um, they're the guys who are also famous for uh, trying to uh, <laughs> trademark or copyright everything related to comedy. Someone said replay, or someone said reaction, or someone said comedy. That's that's us. You're going to sue you. So... <laughs> Aside from their extremely litigious nature, they did a uh, they do really good reaction videos, and they do them better than anyone else because they kind of started that whole genre. Right. But uh, they dropped one this week that was so close to home, and it's a reaction video of teenagers playing Super Metroid for the first time. Oh, interesting. And so Super Metroid is a game that is like deep in the core of who I am. Okay, I played through that game probably at least a hundred and fifty times. It's an exceptional piece of work. And watching those people or watching these kids play through the game um, and their interaction with it was fantastic um, because they have never been uh, they ne they've never been ex they've never been exposed to the character or the world. And so the quote are the quotes just alone. The, the episode is so fantastic. Uh, one of them was this is so 90s. I love it. And so watching the reaction to this 90s video game and hearing these kids who have only lived in, most of them have lived in, like, the Xbox 360 through PS3 and then current generation, okay? So they've only played higher-end games. Watching them start getting into it and go, oh, wow, like, this looks so good for being so old. And, uh, and then watching them play through the final boss and realizing that Samus is a woman. Uh-huh. Spoiler alert. They're wide-eyed wonder. Uh, so amazing. So amazing. That sounds fun. So, yeah, you've got to watch the video. It's fantastic. Look it up on YouTube. Uh, Fine Brothers uh, reaction video Super Metroid. It's, it's gold for those of us who lived through the generation and played that game when we were kids. Um, it's great. Cool. I love, uh, you. I mean, YouTube has become this current, you know, generation's superstars, right? I was thinking yesterday with all the, the conversation about Prince passing away that when my kids are older, it's going to be about YouTube stars like, you know, mm -hmm. the Fine Brothers or, you know, Jeremy Johns or, um, you know, uh, Rhett and Link, you know, like, you know, Rhett will pass away and my kids will be like, oh, man, you know, that was like he defined my youth. You know what I mean? It's just so interesting to think that it's not musical superstars or athletes anymore. It's YouTubers that, you know, this next generation is really looking up to. So. I don't know. I just had that interesting thought, so I thought I'd pass that along. And that's funny because I just told I was just talking to Sean about this on Monday. I told him that I I, I had the moment where I realized that I'm too old, and it's uh, we had paid a girl to babysit for us, and she had finally saved up five hundred dollars to go see YouTube YouTube stars live in Kansas yes. City. Wow! And I was like, okay, 
I'm 33 and I just officially became too old because that makes sense to me. So there it is. Yeah, no, it's and true. To add depth to that, uh, Chris, uh, Colton did his uh, Karate Week 3 video uh, for his uh, dojo. And in it is put first things first. And they're talking about, you know, the seven highly effective habits of teens. And they talk about where they want to be in life. And Colton's ultimate objective in life is he wants to run a restaurant, but his big goal in life uh, for his celebrity is he wants to be a YouTuber. He wants to make videos for YouTube on how to play games. That's yeah. like literally what he wants to do for his life. Yeah, and it's incredible. Rake in revenue. And I'm like, he wants to be PewDiePie. Yeah, he, want, well, he wants to <laughs> annihilate PewDiePie, but yes, <laughs> he wants to beat him at every aspect of his game. So I'm like, oh, that's funny. Man up. <laughs> All right, Chris, what's your uh, buried treasure? Uh, actually, my my buried treasure is going to be a palate cleanser for everybody coming off of the uh, disappointment of Batman v Superman. Okay. Uh, to prove to everybody that DC does have the capability to make a movie that does not suck, um, go watch one of the one of the plethora of DC animated features. Um, whether it's uh, Justice League War, uh, the Flashpoint Paradox, Justice League Doom, Batman Under the Red Hood. Um, DC Animation is known for making very, very strong films. Uh, they're very well-told stories. And I've, and I've told Sean this a hundred times. If they would take the crew from DC Animated and let them make the live-action movies, DC would annihilate Marvel. Because DC already has better characters than Marvel. They just have a problem because Zack Snyder's running the whole show. So I, I love the DC animated movies. It started out with a love of Batman the Animated Series back in the early 90s, which won multiple awards and moved on through into their current offerings. Um, specifically Justice League Doom or the Flashpoint Paradox, either of those two animated features. Uh, if you are a superhero fan and have a bad taste in your mouth from the last month or so, uh, go check those out. Very cool. My buried treasure is uh, the brand new season of Orphan Black has started. Uh, and in case if oh, so good, in case you haven't seen any of the Orphan Black stuff, uh, great concept, uh, very interesting show uh, about a woman who finds out she may be a clone and uh, and then it kind of descends from there into a mystery of this world around her. And uh, I'd highly recommend it. Although I will say, I think this is season four. Season three really disappointed me. Uh, so I'm kind of hoping they get their get their mojo back, um, in my opinion. Uh, I just didn't like that it, it kind of overcloned the clone thing, in my opinion. And I think part of the beauty of the yeah. show <clears throat> was uh, the simplicity of the emotion of this person making these discoveries. So... Uh, the, mm -hmm. the girl who plays several of the roles, since we're talking about clones, is absolutely phenomenal, and she does such a great job. Uh, I think her name is Tatiana, Tatiana Maslany, uh, and, yep. uh, and she's just, she's wonderful. So if you haven't checked out Orphan Black, uh, heading into its fourth season, it might be a time to, I, and obviously with a show like this, I would recommend starting at season one, because uh, there's definitely a lot of mystery and intrigue and kind of going with the story. Either of you guys check that out? Yeah, I love it. Yeah, I've, I'm all the way caught up on Orphan Black. It, it, Tatiana is absolutely stunning. Even if you uh, haven't, if, if friends have told you the show, they don't enjoy it or they can't quite get into it, if season three left a bad taste in your mouth because I wasn't as a huge of a fond of it either, it's amazing how well she does in each individual character and makes them so... She does a better job with two characters on her show, okay? Just pick two random ones than 
all of the character development in Huntsman. Yeah, so, there you go. Fair point. So, I agree. I think she deserves all of the Emmys. That's right. All of them. They should just yep. line them up on a truck and give them, give to, them her. to her. Because yep. Tatiana. Uh, all right, Danae, what did you think about Orphan Black? I'll take that to mean you haven't seen it. No. All right, there you go. <laughs> Thanks for joining us. Are for... you sure you want to have someone that doesn't like pop culture on your podcast, Aaron? <laughs> I'm positive. Okay. I think it's a wonderful idea. I think it makes for an amazing podcast. Are you mm. sure you want to be on a pop culture podcast? Ask Not somebody who doesn't. Entirely like sure. <laughs> Not entirely. <laughs> Uh, thanks for joining us for Sif Pop today. And uh, as always, amazing gurus. Thanks to Chris and yeah, Sean. Round Thank of you. applause. Thanks for having us, guys. You guys thanks are for having us, man. Absolutely wonderful. Tell people about where they can find more of your stuff. Anything you want to pimp out? Just let you us can, know. Uh, yeah, you can find us at uh, geekpointo.com. Uh, you do have to spell out point because that's how the internet works. And then you can find us on Facebook at Geek Pointo, And we are on Twitter and Instagram at Geek Pointo. And also on YouTube. So pretty well anywhere we're at, anywhere you want to look, we're there. Awesome. Well, we really appreciate you guys, and thanks for uh, thanks for hanging out with the, hanging out with us. We'll have to make sure we do it again sometime. Sif Pop is part of the Shoe the Dough Podcast Network. You can find out more about other live and later shows on the network by following the feed at mixler.com slash shoe the dough. That's M-I-X-L-R.com slash shoe the dough. You can find out more about Aaron and Danae at AaronandDanae.com. Huge thanks to uh, to our gurus today, Sean and Chris. Also, much love and gratitude to our Patreon supporters for giving monthly to make this show and others on the Shoe the Dough Network possible. Support starts at a buck a month, comes with some fun perks. You can find out more info at patreon.com slash Aaron and Danae. Also, if you know of a podcast or have a podcast idea, just let us know at AaronandDanae at gmail.com. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com podcast. That's Indeed.com podcast. Terms and conditions apply.